And here we go. Let's spruce this goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Cavanaugh. With me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing, like the one we're going to talk about today, or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other. Don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Hey, hey. Spoiler alert, I love this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, this is on my top 10 do not see list. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, it's a no-fly list for me, but yeah. Um, I'm good. I am a little tired, but that's okay because I, I get to hear your lovely voice and we get to talk about some amazing um, piece of film, or an amazing film, I should say. And yeah, it's uh, it's going well. It's soggy up here in Seattle. Just nonstop rain. I haven't seen the sun in 22 goddamn fucking years. So. <laughs> Chapman. <laughs> oh. But otherwise, I'm 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 doing swell. How's uh, how's everything down there? Great. Uh, I went to Yard House last night and I was eating outside on January 31st at like eight o'clock at night. That just goes to show you how nice the weather is here. Huh. I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was not eating outside because I would have had to have an umbrella and I would have had to been crazy to eat outside. That sucks to be you. <laughs> <laughs> eh, whatever. whatever. Oh, man, I finally got my uh, my California driver's license and um, I went to the DMV yesterday and I had all my paperwork and everything because they have like the real ID down here where it kind of acts as your like, domestic passport, as it were, when you go to the airports. Like and, how the Washington one is, like the enhanced driver's license? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. They okay. call it live ID here. And because mm-hmm. um, you get like a thumbprint and all this other stuff. Anyway, um, the the lady's like, have you lived in California before? I'm like, I have. It's like 10 years ago. And she pulls me up on the system. She goes, whoa, this photo of you was like when you were 16. <laughs> and I was like, dude, I had that photo on my ID till I was 30. I look like such a jack. But I was like the one with the little shadow behind my ears that so looks like I have a mullet. And she's like, yes, that's it. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. I was like, yep, I was 16 in that photo. And then I, I had think, to I had to take a written test. I passed. No big deal. <laughs> I think uh for the sake of of me and your followers, you need to uh tweet that photo out if you if you have your old driver's license still so we can see it. I have it somewhere. I had to track it down. But yeah, I look like a total jack. I saved, I actually found it one day and I saved it in my folder entitled Justin's Secret Stash on my computer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I found some really good photos of me in my childhood. I usually tweet them. I'm sure, I'm sure I could track it down. Not the end of the world, but yes, um, I'm, I'm excited because now I have my, my California license plates and now my California driver's license. And your California raisins when you're and eating. And my California raisins. <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the gloves and the sunglasses. Maybe that one with the saxophone. You know, that'll just not. Signed, sealed, delivered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we usually talk about movies that we're watching or shows mm-hmm. that we're watching. 
And I don't really have anything to contribute to that conversation. However, I will say that I did pick up Terminator Dark Fate for like $4. (laughs) And I'm watching that either today or tomorrow. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, let, to, I'll let you know my thoughts please, on that. One. <laughs> please, yeah, I because I, I want to watch that, but I'm I can't pull the trigger right now. I'm gonna wait until it comes out on um, some some streaming platform just to check it out. Sure, but uh, yeah, I, I watched actually the Taylor Swift documentary yesterday, Miss Americana. I really enjoy Taylor Swift as a person. Um, I like her music a lot. She's just she's actually pretty great. Uh, I'm not a hardcore fan of hers, so I didn't really know too much of her backstory. And I think that this was a fun and refreshing documentary. Um, some of it I felt was a little, it almost felt forced and scripted just because she, you know, had the crew following her around. But she she did open up a lot and she's just such a, a normal person. And I, I love that a lot. So, uh, yeah, it was good. It's on Netflix now. And it's not very long. It's maybe an hour and a half. So it's a good way to to get some insight into her life. I hate how Netflix automatically starts playing a trailer for something. <laughs> it drives me nuts. <laughs> I just want to read what the fucking movie's about. I don't want to see it. And I yeah. hate it. I hate it so much. And if you could just turn that off, that would be amazing. And you know what else would be amazing? Check this shit yeah. out. If I'm if I'm paying for like a service like Hulu, right? I'm I'm okay. If there are commercials, like I actually have the one where there isn't commercials, but um, but like with YouTube TV or whatever, I think it would be really cool if you could sort of tailor your commercials. Like I would prefer to have a vegan option for commercials to where I'm not watching um, animal product commercials like about how amazing McDonald's nuggets are and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think that would be yeah. so cool. Like if I could just watch like cell phone commercials or fucking prudential commercials or whatever the hell. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think if you're in the biz and you're listening to this podcast, you got a million dollar idea on your hands. Just yeah. make a fucking vegan option for commercial. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that that is smart. I saw a very pro-Christian commercial like on Hulu or something, and I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to be seeing this. Yeah, I want like, to be. I don't... the anti-Christian commercials? Yeah, <laughs> like, give, me, give me Satan. Give me all the Satan. I'm just like, I was like, well, you know, you don't you don't need a religious commercial on this. I This is non-biased. Give me give me those nugget commercials like you're talking about. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen a religious commercial in since forever. Like, uh, yeah, it was weird. I think I may have seen like, a, like an LDS commercial once, and I might have like going back, like I remember when like uh, L. Ron Hubbard, like with Dianetics, there was a time yeah. in the 80s where where there was a Dianetics commercial like every 15 minutes. And you're just like, God damn it. I'm not going to read your fucking book. All right. Leave me alone. <laughs> Those are the only two real like religious commercials I remember seeing. Unless right. they're so secretly like intertwined in my life and I never noticed. Definitely. It's mm. brainwashing. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) Um, but uh, we are very, very excited today because today is all about love and joy and appreciation for this amazing film. Uh, We are doing Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Uh, This movie was directed by George Miller, who did the original uh, Mad Max and the Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome. This is the fourth installment in his what would you call him? I guess the Road Warrior franchise. Or the Mad Max franchise. Yeah, I would say Mad Max, yeah. So uh, this movie was written by George Miller with um, help from Brendan McCarthy and Nick Lathuris, I believe. Uh, 
I just want to go over a couple things just because this movie uh, technically is, is fantastic. The music was by Junkie XL. The cinematography, John Seal. Film editing was Margaret Sixel. The production design was Colin Gibson. The set deck, uh, a lot of people, costume design, Jenny Beaven, makeup department, a lot of people. But those were the biggest categories uh, from this. And those also were the categories that won at the 2015 or 16 Academy Awards. They they swept for technical awards, best achievements and stuff. Yeah. I mean, um, this movie, yeah. I don't even know how it was made. It's incredible. Exactly. There's a fun little trivia thing that I was reading uh, during a screen. It might have been at Cannes uh, after they watched it. Robert Rodriguez stood up and he was like, how the hell did you make this movie? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's it's incredible. Yeah, Yeah. it's absolutely incredible. So uh, this film stars Tom Hardy, Charlize Theron, Nicholas Holt, Hugh Keysburn, Josh Hellman, Nathan Jones, Zoe Kravitz, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Riley Keough, Abby Lee, uh, Courtney Eaton, John Howard, Richard Cotter, Iota, and let's give it one more, and Megan Gale. There's a lot of other bit actors in this who aren't in a ton of stuff, but they're pretty big in Australian film culture. So film history, I should say. But uh, yeah, that's who it is. And you go with reviews. Sure. Um, this movie fared pretty well with the with the critics and audience members. Uh, the old Rotten Tomatoes has it at a whopping 97% fresh. That's pretty good. That's pretty fresh. Yeah. For, uh, for an action spectacular such as Mad Max, um, I think that a lot of people might have gone into this with pretty low expectations and were, were just floored. Two hours later, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of jaw-dropping moments in this motion picture show, and like Mr. Rodriguez, I too wonder how on earth was this movie even made. It is incredible. Uh, let's go down the list of critics. Here we have Allison Wilmore from BuzzFeed News. Happy end of the world. Yeah, pretty much. All kinds of horribles <laughs> happening, but you're like, fuck yeah, man. You got the rock music. You got you got the Hardys. You got the the lady, Charlie Theron. <laughs> the Hardys? Tom Hardy. The Hardys? Tom Hardy? The, Har- the Hardy Boys? Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> the Wild Boys. The Wild Boys. Have you ever heard that song by um, Duran Duran? No. Oh, my God. It is like Mad Max in a nutshell. It's so funny. <laughs> Um, and it even has like cool drums. It goes, it's cool. It's like, wow, boys. It's so good. Oh my God. After, after this podcast, I encourage all of you to check out wild boys by Duran Duran. It'll blow your mind. It is so good. And it, and it just screams Mad Max. It's so funny. It's like, it's a, it's like a song retelling of, of of the events that have transpired. It's nuts. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. You'll want it on your on your on your Apple Music there. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, ben Sachs from Chicago Reader. Uh, Even after two viewings, I feel as though I've only scratched the surface of Mad Max's Fury Road. 
Uh, George Miller's action fantasy is astonishingly dense for a big-budget spectacle, not only in imagery and ideas, but in complex interplay between them. That's a astute observation, Mr. Sax. <laughs> I'm right there with you. Saxy boy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a good one. Um, keeping it sexy. <laughs> that's a game, you know. A Kenny G game. Um, anyway. <laughs> Someone out there. Uh, the, the, the funny juice has finally kicked in. FYI. I like pounded like, that big old 24-ounce can. Holy and now shit. it's now it's finally uh it's hit me how are you not dead I don't, I, <laughs> i'm just that good <laughs> you got you got high octane blood yeah high octane <laughs> uh let's see here Kristen akuna akuna matata she says uh the entirety is a delicious assault on both your visual cortex and auditory system a giant orchestral blend of, of machine engines roaring and wheels peeling combined with a booming overture of drums and guitar (laughs) oh my god have you ever have you ever worked out to this this soundtrack like or done any work or or anything with it i mean (laughs) hold on i would just like to say that when this movie came out in 2015 i was hitting the gym six times a week and i was looking good man like ravishing rick rude good and And uh, I will say that I did not work out to this, but that would have been pretty good. It's uh, it's it's fun. It's uh, yeah, very intense and picks up a ton, like especially the initial chase scene when Furiosa is escaping the war boys and stuff. And the that like kind of high paced action uh, score. It's just it's so good. It's so yeah. good. Junkie XL. Yeah. Um, let me see. I'm having a hard time finding a. A bad review, but I just came across one from CJ Mm. Prince from way to indie. He says, (laughs) (laughs) it's true. Um, Let's see. It says action films with a simple one track mindset can be far from a bad thing. But Fury Road never successfully establishes any stakes. Are you nuts? Lives are on the line here, man. (laughs) People are dying live. Yeah, it, and the the ideals are on the line too. Yes, about, all of human civilization yeah. is on the line, essentially, pretty much. CJ, I don't, I'm not sure I agree 100 percent with you on your critiquing abilities. <laughs> you are going down like a sweet muffin. Okay, Pamela Powell from the Daily Journal, she says Mad Max Fury Road is one of the worst and meaningless movies I have ever seen. Wow! Yikes! <laughs> oh, 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 oh man, that probably didn't age very well. I wonder if she wrote that right after she saw it. Yeah, uh, so she wrote that review on August twenty first, twenty eighteen, three years after it came out. Her wow. original score was a point five out of four. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry, but you are wrong, ma'am. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's that is surprising. She's uh. Maybe maybe this is her way of, of going full on punk, like fuck the man, fuck the institution. I'm going the opposite <laughs> route. I'm okay with that. I appreciate her style. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hmm. Um, budget wise, this movie cost exactly $150 million. Ooh. Not a cent more. <laughs> and 
Let's see, opening weekend, $45.4 million. And I actually saw this with my upstairs neighbor at my apartment complex. I just knocked on his door. I was like, hey, dude, I'm going to go watch Mad Max. You want to check it out? He's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> just start. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wife had just left me. I was all alone, and I wanted to be titillated, as it were. Um, oh. So I found the first person I could, <laughs> and I went to the movies with somebody. <laughs> nice. It's a true story there. And I uh, loved it. And the, the guy that I went with, his name was Steven, and he is a talker. And he we talked about this movie for like two hours after it ended and how much we loved it. So there nice. is that. Uh, let's see. In the United States, it grossed $154 million, and worldwide, you're looking at $375 million. Now, this one, I, I feel, kind of falls in that same category as as Dread, where not everyone mm-hmm. saw it in the theater, but once they got their little greasy hands on this this crazy movie, they loved it. It, does, it doesn't matter if it's, your, if it's your mama or your mama's friend. Everyone loves this movie that sees it. It's just really, really cool. And I like well, that. And I th- I, th- I think that the Academy Awards uh, definitely helped it because it was nominated, you know, for like nine, nine categories. Right. And uh, people were like, oh, wow, I probably have to go see this. And it was just word of mouth. So I think that, that definitely helped after. So it'd be interesting to see what this movie totally made included with like, I don't know, Blu-ray sales and such. Right, right. I don't know. I, I don't know if these numbers are reflected of reflective of that, but. This was definitely one of those films that, you know, uh, suffered from from a lack of media. Sure, sure, sure. Publication. Well, I think it's just um, this is one of those times where something like an award show as high caliber as the Academy Awards brought legitimacy to this movie. Totally. Um, I have spoken. What it done? What it what it did win? And like I was saying, it won at the Academy Awards uh, for achievement in sound editing, costume design, makeup and hairstyling, sound mixing, and production design. Uh, I think those are all well deserved. I think those are no brainers. Uh, would you Would you argue anything else, Justin? No, no. <laughs> I think these are. Yeah, they put on a clinic for for what to do in these technical aspects. Yeah, I think they watched uh, Iron Eagle a couple times to get. <laughs> Probably figure out what they, works uh, best. They put their cassette deck in, <laughs> the cassette tape in, and, and they just listened. So uh, over 80% of the effects in the film are practical effects, including stunts, makeup, and sets. CGI was used sparingly, mainly to enhance the Nambian landscape, remove stunt rigging, and for Imperator Furiosa's left arm, which is a prosthetic limb. Right. No, she, I heard she really chopped her arm off so she could do this role. Totally. She chopped her hair and she chopped her. Oh, arm man, off. she looks so, so good. Ball. That's so weird to say, she's, but she's fucking hot. In this movie. <laughs> yeah. And she's just she's absolutely beautiful, even with like the um the grease. Like, oh, the, the I wheel love grease that on her. on her forehead. Yeah. Oh, my she's, God. She's such such a presence on screen. I love Charlize a lot. Mm-hmm. On April 3rd, 2015, Tom Hardy announced he would sign on for three more Mad Max films. Whoa. Uh, we're waiting, sir, because there has been nothing, not a peep. Um, in a can press conference for the movie, Tom Hardy apologized to George Miller for reportedly complicated relationships between the star and the director during filming. He stated, there was no way. I mean, I have to apologize to you because I got frustrated. There was no way George could have ex- 
explain what he could see in the sand when we were out there. Because of the due diligence that was required to make everything safe and so simple, what I saw was a relentless barrage of complexities, simplified for this fairly linear story. I knew he was brilliant, but I didn't know how brilliant until I saw it. So my first reaction was, oh my god, I owe George an apology, an apology for being so myopic. Charlize Theron also mentioned similar experiences where she had no idea what she was filming, up to the point where she would ask the director what the hell he was doing. In the end, seeing the finished film greatly exceeded her expectations as well. Right. So that's really important. Like, uh, There's a lot of trust that goes um, from the actors to the directors. And if you don't trust what they're doing, then it'll have a tremendous impact on the film. They... The whole point of being a director is being a visionary and knowing what you're trying to accomplish and having to convey that message to the actors can be challenging. Especially when you look at a movie like Starship Troopers where they're shooting at something that isn't even there. You know, they're looking at a tennis ball the whole time and that's got to be hard. It's like, how is this going to be anything? Even Star Wars was the same way. Remember, like Alec Guinness was like, what the fuck are we even doing out here in the sand? This movie sucks. Right. And no one no well, one and, got it. And then when you see the yeah. finished product, you're like, oh, that's what you're doing. You have one of these aha moments where you're like, well, shit, that's why you're the director and I'm just some asshole making, you know, movies. What do I know? Yeah. And with and with a movie like this, too, where it's so reliant on the action and and the scene and the nonverbal communication that you know, you have to get your actors to buy into it. Otherwise, you're going to miss the mark on it. And so fortunately for Miller, it worked like his everybody, everybody bought in from what it looked like. Right. They sold me. All right. You want a quick synopsis and then we will jump right into it? Yes. In a post-apocalyptic world, Max Rockstansky is trying to survive while constantly on the run from real threats and the demons of his past. Max is captured by warboys and taken to the Citadel to serve as a source of blood for a dying driver, Nux. Evil leader, Morton Joe, controls the city's water supply and therefore is a self-proclaimed god. On a routine supply run, Imperator Furiosa leads a group of warboys through the wasteland in her supercharged war rig. Back at the Citadel, Joe discovers that Furiosa had stolen his prized breeding, quote, wives and is escaping off route. Joe wrangles up the war boys along with Max and chases down Furiosa. After escaping through a sandstorm, Furiosa and Max have a fight with assistance from Nux and the wives. Max hijacks the war rig, but decides to make a deal with Furiosa, the wives and the war rig. The group continue to pass through constant attacks and struggles as they drive along the Fury Road. Furiosa and Max end up forming a level of trust, and she explains that they are going to the Green Place. Nux is able to sneak back onto the rig, but realizes that Joe had been a false prophet all along, and chooses to help our heroes escape. The group finally run into the Volvani, the kinfolk of Furiosa. When she discovers the Green Place is gone, all hope for redemption is lost. After some persuasion, Max stops the group from riding off into the unknown desert and instead go back to the Citadel the exact way they just came. In a jaw-dropping, adrenaline-fueled journey back to the Citadel, the group fend off Joe and his hordes of warboys. Many lives are lost, but Furiosa reminds Joe of who she is by ripping off his face. The gang make it to the (laughs) Citadel to show that Joe is dead. Oh, face off. The citizens rejoice and the city is freed. As Furiosa watches Max leave... He gives her an approving nod, symbolizing to Furiosa that there is always a chance for redemption. Yeah, it's like that Mentos nod, the fresh maker. Mentos, fresh. 
Well, all right. Well, Justin, what did you think of the movie? I know you touched on this, but I want to get your unedited, go for it, balls to the wall feeling of this movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This movie blowed me away. And what's what's crazy is that I remember when we were doing the Geek Legacy podcast uh, during this time, um, this movie was Randy Van Dyke's pick of the year like this is the movie that he was most looking forward to and i remember just thinking like are you crazy this movie's gonna suck ass in a bad way and it, <laughs> and it didn't it was a good way and and i loved it and I, part of the, what i really liked most about it was the the tiny little details as i'm watching it and like uh steering wheels have like the, the significance to them almost like it's mm-hmm. like their their trophy it's their it's their thing that they cling to and i love that um, I really like the bog walkers, you know, those little guys that are just kind of walking through the marsh. I thought that was really yeah. on, on stilts, um, yeah. calling water aqua, aqua cola. I saw it was kind of funny. Um, yeah. there's all these little details that, that you might not even pick up the first time you watch it. And, um, that's something that I really enjoy about movies is when there's like a, a replayability where I can just absorb something different every time, like back to the futures like that. It's kind of weird to call that out, but I can watch countless YouTube videos on all the things that I missed on Back to the Future, and I've seen the movie a hundred goddamn times. But I think that that's so cool that that so much trouble went into to making it be what it is and just be like this absolutely perfect film that um, that you can get a new takeaway every time you watch it. And I feel like Mad Max is definitely one of those. Everything everything felt purposeful and intentional. Yes. And it, it didn't seem wasted. And with the set deck, uh, I mean, this seemed like such a fun movie to make if you're on the uh, production team because it's like, all right, I'm going to make a car out of an old bus and it's going to have a chainsaw <laughs> over here. And it, you're, you're like a kid and it's so cool. And everything that they're using, and even George Miller says this, everything that they're using was was like salvaged from a real world product right. just like a how it would look in a post-apocalyptic world right right so i think that that was so interesting so you talked about and real quick i was just gonna say i really liked how it just threw me into this world i didn't have to i could have never seen a mad max movie before in my life and just hopped on for the ride like i loved how i didn't need any real backstory or anything like that of course i've seen all the mad max movies but if this was a, a first time venture, all you need to know is that the world has ended and this is what we're left with. Yeah, this is a, a masterclass in in world building. And I wanted to talk about that in a bit. Um, when you, So you talked about when you first saw it in theaters uh, with your your neighbor. Yes, Mr. Steven. So when when you and Steven saw it, you were you going into it? thinking still that it was going to be a pile of garbage or were you just kind of more optimistic maybe because you heard Randy say it was good or something like that? Well, no, because he hadn't, it had just come out, but I just knew that that was his most anticipated. The conversation was, what was your most anticipated film for 2015? And his Mm -hmm. answer was Fury Road. Um, So I, I was, my expectations were pretty low, but in the first five seconds of this movie, I was like, all right, I'm sold. The part because he gets captured and then yep. he's trying to escape and then when he's dangling off the edge and then they pull him back in and then it just says Mad Max Fury Road. It's almost yep. like the door closing on him. Um, I was like, holy shit! Let me just check for a seatbelt on this theater seat because this is I'm going for a wild ride and that set the tone for me. Like the first like three minutes of this movie were so critical in setting the tone and it 
it pulled it off. I was 100% invested for the entirety of the film because of that opening. Bold statement, but this might may be one of the best openings in film history, in my opinion. One of them. Uh, I, I think it, it you're right. It's it sets it sets the tone. You you understand who the, who the character is, the world we're in. You understand enough about it that it's like, you know, dog eat dog world. And you're like, holy shit, I can't ask for a refund because <laughs> I just signed up to some, I don't know, some crazy stuff. So, yeah. And you know, what's funny is like just to compare something really quick. Um, what is. Oh, fuck. I for, totally forget the name of the movie. Um, but it was with Vigo Mortensen, and it's where uh, he's like escaping. History of violence. Yes, history of violence. So the beginning of that movie, I fell asleep like eighteen times because <laughs> it was so slow. Like just with them sitting in the car talking. Yeah, and then they go and kill the spoiler alert the the motel clerk or whatever. Oh yeah, those two are extreme. Like openings, you know, like one is the slowest thing in the world, just sort of building up tension, whereas this other one doesn't even give you a chance to build up because it just hits the throttle and and unleashes the beast, as it were, right from the get go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Um, how many times have you seen it? This movie, Mad Max? Uh, probably like I, w- I would say just under ten, probably like eight, eight or nine times. Yeah, I'm probably around the same. So this to me was when this movie came out in 2015, I saw it with with friends. We went to the Pacific Science Center IMAX and I saw it with my two friends. I, I saw like maybe a trailer here and there, but there really wasn't talk. I, I just got word of mouth that it was good. And I'm like, you know what? I need to go see this. Um, I was not expecting much going into it. I was like, OK, I think it's going to probably be just a generic action film. But seeing it on IMAX definitely helped. But I mean, I was this was top five theater movie going experiences in my entire life. I was blown away. I could not stop talking about it. I I felt like I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. And anytime I had a chance to breathe, it was quickly taken away from me because it was just like, all right, we're doing something else. And I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) it was just a beautiful film to watch. It was fantastic performances from like everybody. And I really got bought into this world. When I when I left, I'm like, where am I? <laughs> like, am I still in? Am I still on the Fury Road? It just was so captivating, and I I absolutely loved this film. I, it's held up every single time I've watched it. Uh, you know, I started writing all these points in this document even before I turned it on yesterday, just because it it sits so well in my mind. But I absolutely loved this movie. So it's well, it, and it's really interesting because when you break this movie's plot down, it's it's very, very simplistic. It's a, it's a chase movie, right? It goes like this. It's nomad guy gets kidnapped by baddies. Rogue general steals valuable possessions from deformed big boss. Nomad and general meet and learn to like each other as they head to destination. Destination sucks. Heroes head back to Citadel all whilst being chased by baddies. Nomad and general defeat big boss and save the day. Um, for all intents and purposes, this plot should not really work. But why does this linear plot work for a movie like this? And I'm asking you. That's funny because I was just going to say, are you asking me? <laughs> I never know with you. <laughs> I know. I know. I always have to clarify. Yeah. Um, why does it work? Um, I, I think because uh, the the action is so amazing that that you're it works because you're it's forced to work like it, you, there's no other option. For me, anyway, 
I feel like this is just one of those things where the the disagreeing with that reviewer, the stakes are so high that I am 100% invested in this journey, regardless of where they go. They could have gone to 7-Eleven and just hung out, but I didn't care because I was so just invested in this story. <laughs> 7-Eleven. Yeah, they got to get the guzzling, the big, the big guzzles. <laughs> <laughs> well, see you later. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I mean, for, for typically cat and mouse stories um, aren't my cup of tea. But in this particular case, I just feel like there's so much going on. Um, it's not just so much them. It's everything that's happening around them that keeps me invested. So it just happens to be that it comes full circle. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think that um, sometimes you can get overcomplicated action stories, you know, that are just a little too convoluted that maybe take away from the spectacle. And I think that this movie does a very good job of of showing like, look, we put a lot of time into the practical effects of this film, the CGI, the the action that we want you to just kind of have fun and watch it. You don't need to overthink what's going on. And so I think that that really helps. It's like less is more sort of thing. And I think that fits the scope of the film in general with the fact that there's like very minimal dialogue, right? Um, I think Max says 52 lines in the whole movie is what I looked up, but it's it, it forces you to watch the actors, you know, grunt and to look over and to do things. And that scene in which Max is trying to cut the chain off right before he when he first meets Furiosa all he does is grunt at the girls and they know exactly what he wants and I thought that that was so cool because as a viewer too we're not like oh what does he what does he need you you see everything and and the camera acts as that narrator for us but I think that having this simple plot just makes it very easy to follow and you don't have to worry ab about things it's rare when you can make a really good plot and a really good action movie and I look at like T2 as one of the pinnacles of action films because the plot is so cool and the action just nonstop in that movie. But yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Terminator 2 probably had, I would think, is the number one action movie of all time um, until I saw this movie. And I feel like every time I watch it, it gets closer and closer to like dethroning that, <laughs> that movie. And, and part of I know part of part of why I like Terminator 2 so much is the nostalgia. I, you know, I was like 12 when it came out and saw with my grandfather and it was a really cool experience. But I just feel like I've seen I've now seen Fury Road almost 10 times. And every time I see it, I love it more and more and more. And I just think that it's it's incredible. Whereas Terminator is relies heavily on CGI. This one is the opposite. This one's practical effects. And to me, that is more, uh, I feel like that's why it holds up. Like this movie will hold up for a really, really, really long time because it's using real things versus uh, a computer generated enemy. I think mm -hmm. That goes a long way, especially a 1992 computer generated bad guy. So let's expand on that then. So, um, how, if so, has this film changed the genre of action for either the better or worse? Like kind of elaborating on what you're, you're already talking about. How do you think that this film, like did this film set a benchmark? Right. So for starters, I would say that it has raised the bar up almost to record heights to where, you know, when you're watching the Olympics and it's like pole vaulting, 
you're mm-hmm. like, there's no fucking way that guy can get over that pole. It's impossible. It's a billion feet in the air. And then he does it. Mm-hmm. You're like, holy shit. Now the next guy's got to go even higher than that. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, this is impossible. Literally raising the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, this, this, this can't happen. And like, I'm at the point right now with this movie where it's like, how are you going to top this? Exactly. This is, this is incredible. This is a, a, like a, one of the biggest feats in all of, of filmmaking. And it is, it is the responsibility of those storytellers out there to, to use this as their benchmark in what is possible. And I feel like we had a conversation about that a couple of shows ago when we were talking about action movies. Oh, it was with Spectre mm-hmm. and how and how why one of the reasons why I thought it was so slow is because and I used the movie The Rock as something that that sort of kickstarted the action genre for me and in, in what was possible. It was probably Terminator 2 when in 1990, whatever, 91, 92. But then when The Rock came out in 95 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and and just that style of filmmaking with the quick cuts, which was actually pretty prominent in, in foreign films, but it was new to us in, in the Western audience. But just seeing the music and the pacing and the action, it was like, I didn't even know you could do this. And and I feel like Fury Road is that movie now. That is That is the new Terminator, the new... The new rock. It is the movie that has set the bar so goddamn high that maybe it's even going to take 15, 20 years before you can top it again. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is is very spot on in, in your assertion. Um, I it's I look at how the formula for this movie was made and you're right. It, it, it set that bar where you to top this, you'd have to do something over the top, you'd have to do this crazy extravagant. It would take like two years to film sort of thing to, to beat that if that's what you're going for. But I compare this film a lot to John Wick and I love John Wick. I think it is a great, great example of how to do a subtle action film, if that makes sense. But I think that they use a lot of the same tropes. So in John Wick, you have a character who doesn't talk that much. Um, his actions are speak louder than words <laughs> totally well they do they do right it, it's a very very simple plot even more simple than this one it's guy gets his car stolen and dog killed guy goes on rampage um mm-hmm. that's john wick in a nutshell and it should with, not with hardcore like metal music playing to get you amped up totally and that movie should not work i remember when john wick came out and I was like, eh, generic action film. I don't really care too much. But then people were like, hey, you should check it out. And I did. And I'm like, why? I, I'm so glad I was wrong. It's so funny. You're, you're so quick to judge things. It's so funny. Like we have these conversations and, you know, you you pick stuff apart and you have a good time with it. But when you're first hit with information, you're always like, that's a rental. Or, oh, my God, that movie sucks. It's going to be terrible. And then you sit down and watch it. It's funny because you're exactly what the point of this podcast is the don't be crazy. Like, just give it a fucking chance. Maybe this is a self-exploration podcast for me. Um, no, I, it's not. No, I've, I've definitely gotten better about about checking movies out. I'm talking like John Wick came out a long time ago. So it's it's something that, yeah, I mean, I admit that I was I was like that even up until six months ago. But uh, I have been getting a lot better at expanding my my choices and seeing things based off of just giving it a shot because I can't talk about something until I know about it. Like, who am I to judge until I can actually see it? But things like Terminator Dark Fate, I'm like, yeah, I just I'm just going to wait until that comes out on, on streaming. I mean, it could be really good, but I don't want to buy it 
unless it was like three bucks or something like that. So I got it for four dollars USD. Yeah, I only do I only do New Zealand dollars, but but John Wick is a, that's a good example because I had pretty low expectations too, mm-hmm. and I'm like okay, whatever, and then I watched it. I was like, holy shit, this is like the coolest movie ever. Mm-hmm. And that, that came out before Fury Road, the year before anyway. And um, I fucking loved it. And you know one thing that I really, really enjoy is when the hero's getting ready. And in John Wick 2, we get to see him actually go to work where he's getting his suit and he's getting his gun and he's getting the layout. And and that's like one of my favorite like five minutes of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I just really, really, really like that. Yeah. Anytime like Conan suits up, or Aragorn suits up. Oh my gosh! Or or uh, John Matrix from Commando gets puts all of his bullets mm-hmm. <laughs> in his pockets. I'm just like really really excited. Uh, we didn't really get one of those in this movie per se, mm-hmm. but um, we got the looks. Uh, the the rock set, and I go la 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 la. She's got the look, <laughs> and um, there's this part where uh, Furiosa is driving, and she looks in her mirror. And she's like, oh, shit, it's about to go down right now. Oh, totally. <laughs> and, we, and we see that shot and you're like, OK, so there's no verbal communication whatsoever. But she sets the stakes right there. She's like, here we go. There's no turning back. This this is it. Well, and that's that's exactly it. I mean, the, the small actions from every actor in this movie, you know, they say so much. And that's why I think this is such an, a great example of how you can create a very cohesive and and fun uh progressing film without having to have a a script a strong script uh george miller's on record for saying that he stole a page from hitchcock with this where there's a quote of hitchcock saying he wanted to make films where you could see it in japan without subtitles and still understand what is going on and and so with this movie it's the same thing i mean if there was zero dialogue you could probably still get the majority of what was going on in this film and I, I look at examples like when they're when when Max has the gun pointed on Furiosa and then they get to that chasm area and, you know, she explains how to she's like, I'm going to need you on this one. What's your name, fool or whatever? And she explains how to turn on her truck. Uh, you know, he's still like, OK, well, I'm going to keep a gun fixed on you. But as soon as those bad guys start shooting, she jumps in, he hands her a gun and they both kind of just look at each other very quick. And you're like, he trusts her enough for this situation because they're both in it together. And it's just, it works so well. I mean, I, I, I bought into that. I'm like, okay, cool. They don't need to be like, Hey, you know what? You did really good back there. So now we're friends. They just understand each other and, and they're, you know, their, their common goal basically of just escaping. So I think it's a master class in, in, in that aspect. I concur. <laughs> good yeah i had a lot i had a lot of scenes written down for that so i'm trying to like only pick and choose a few but it's just it's fucking brilliant it's you know blown away the world building it it works in such this profound way though and it just you understand like what you were saying where it's like all right this is what it is and you understand the ways of this world through its evocative imagery it's such a it's it's a wasteland and you're like, holy shit, man. I mean, you got to eat two headed lizards to survive and you're constantly on the run. That was, that was pretty gross when it cuts to his face and you just got like legs and a tail coming out. I know. <laughs> I know. Yuck. Right. Yeah. You you understand everyone's role through the actions of them as a whole. Um, Like you understand that 
these wives are are just objects by how they're dressed and and like some of them are pregnant and stuff. And then they say, you know, like these are his quote unquote possessions. Uh, you understand that the war boys are expendable because they're just idiots and they all they do is buy into this false prophet of of Morton Joe. And they're dying. And they're dying. Yep. They they want to have some moment to show that they're worthy. Yeah. Which is really powerful. He he has put them in a place like, hey, you guys are nothing. Prove to me otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Um, Miller's just basically forcing us to watch this story and say, you know what? Here you go. Accept this. And I, I think it works to perfection. I, I mm-hmm. He answers all the questions you need to. You don't have to be one of those annoying movie people and be like, hey, what does that mean? Why, why are they like that? Why do they have lumps on their on their necks and stuff? <laughs> you can understand. <laughs> they were staring at the microwave while their food was cooking. <laughs> yeah. Can't can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know Max doesn't say very much in this movie, but could you see another actor playing him? Um, maybe I like the idea of Joel Edgerton possibly doing Ooh. the role. Oh man, that's a good one. I think that's, I think he would have been good. That takes the cake. Plus he's Australian too. So mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. that might have to be the one that takes the cake. There were rumors for apparently Jeremy Renner. Um, this movie has been in development for a long time. So Michael Bean was, was in talks Channing Tatum. I, I don't know about all that, but um, Heath Ledger would have been really good, but he unfortunately died in 2008. And I guess Sam Worthington and Eric Bana were also kind of considered. But uh, yeah, I think Joel Edgerton might be the one that I would go with. I think that that is a very good choice. That's assuming that Tom Hardy is not in the equation. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Which I mean, I've uh, Tom Hardy is interesting because. I see all of his movies. <laughs> He's an interesting character, to say the least. Um, and I'm fully invested and bought into him being Max in this movie. Um, but uh, I do think in like the the Nolan films, I have no idea what the fuck this man is saying. I, I don't know a single word of spoken dialogue that he says in any of the, the Nolan films. <laughs> I know. it's It's so interesting. It's that trope. Like even in Dunkirk, you're like, shit he's doing his bane i mean you can't yeah, he's like him. yeah he's on an airplane and the microphone is attached to the propellers and you have no idea what the fuck he's saying <laughs> yeah. like what what he's he's probably a good podcaster so <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sure i mean he's, he has a very soft way of speaking and i and mm-hmm. i like his voice it can be really deep it's cool i just had never have any idea what the fuck he's saying in movies that's why i think that this movie works well for him just because of the, the grunts that he does and everything yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> just, so just stand there and look pretty yeah it's uh no it's great um i i definitely oh, think- you know real quick sure. um yeah. uh the, when he has when he has the face mask on the the guard yeah um I like it when he's trying to file it off and then it, the, he has the file just kind of wedged in the back <laughs> in the back of it. And there's a couple of scenes where he's just continuing to walk around with the file still attached to the back of it. It's kind of funny. I didn't think I ever noticed that when I was watching it before. Yeah, it's just like like you were saying, watching it again and you're finding these little details and things. It's uh, it's incredibly interesting. So um, so I, I think that redem- redemption is a key uh, theme in this film. And Furiosa says it while they're driving to the green place, says something along the lines of, you know, she's seeking some sort of redemption for her life. Um, And Max kind of ponders on that, too. So, uh, you know, I think that there 
uh, the majority of the characters in this film are seeking this redemption. You know, Max wants to lay his his demons to rest, all the people that he was not able to save, essentially. And that's that's shown right off the bat when we get those flashbacks of the people who, you know, who, when he says, I'm 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 the one who runs from the living and the dead. Um, Furiosa wants to save what little humanity she thinks she has left. She's been a servant to Joe all, all this time, but is, is an orphan who was looking for an escape and this is her escape is to save these these women from being these objects and then mm. uh, and nux wants to take his rightful place in valhalla you know he thinks that he's bought into he's drinking the kool-aid he's bought into this immortan joe kool-aid and thinks that that is <laughs> his he looked at me yeah oh my god <laughs> i got his boot <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. he, he he even says to um i forgot her name but the the redheaded uh wife he told tells her i had three chances to get into valhalla and it didn't work and so he's like what the hell this is this is crap so his redemption arc comes from him you know saving the group and blowing up the canyon or the truck in the canyon and stuff and he made his way to valhalla in in a righteous way so i think that they all it all comes to fruition furiosa you know finds a new green place she becomes essentially what we can uh, ascertain to be the head of the citadel and max saves the life he saves her life he he has a friend you know takes his blood and gives it to her and this is symbolized when he is like a max you know Max is my name and stuff because he finally trusts her enough to tell her his name. Mm-hmm. So what does that kind of make she's sense? Like, she's like, who is your daddy and what does he do? <laughs> uh, it does. Uh, did you notice that the names of the characters are kind of peculiar? Like Zoe, Zoe Kravitz is toast. The knowing um, splendid was the, the pregnant, the super pregnant woman mm-hmm. that uh, got ran over. Capable was the name of the woman that is the redhead. That was talking to Nux that actually uh, sort of brought him over, as it were. Absolutely. I think uh, I think she was a, a critical role in, in his betrayal. Absolutely. Um, creepy Blonde was uh, the dag. That's her name. What? <laughs> you know, the one that has like the all white outfit, but black boots. Yeah, I know. She's kind of weird. And she talks in riddles. Yeah. Yeah. She's uh, she's a character. Um, I just thought their names were kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't quite get it, and and I I feel that um, each of each of the wives they all have their arc of redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, they were these prisoners for so long, but they all play a critical role in in the group's escape and the salvation of them. Y- sure. You know, Zoe Kravitz toast. She is is proficient with with ammo and knows what to do to load it. There's that part when they're like, "Hey, load this," and she just grabs it and starts doing it. So she seems like she's very independent. Um, Splendid is also the same way. She's kind of that leader of the group and she defies uh, Joe and she saves Furiosa a, a couple times at least. And then um, sp- that was Splendid, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What was it? What was the redhead's name again? Capable. Capable converts Nux and shows him that there's, there's actually a different type of life you can live, but also um, you know, he helps them escape in the mud and stuff. So she's she's critical to that role. And then Dag is her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dag is the one who she's um, the witchy woman. Yeah. But she helps with, um, you know, like 
getting those seeds and and understanding that there's there's hope in in the new world i mean she convinces the majority of the girls after splendid's gone about like where they need to focus and what they need to do and she's just kind of she's there to be that supporter and then uh the other girl who didn't really have that cheeto Cheeto the fragile yes so she seemed like the youngest and so she was kind of apprehensive you know about this journey she wanted to go back at a certain point but she ends up saving furiosa at that one part when you know she she's like hey take me back i want to go back on and goes on and then um i can't remember exactly what she does but she distracts she, she grabs enough. yeah she grabs uh furiosa um yep. and pulls her onto the jeep yep there you while, go while that real big fucking dude is beating uh, the shit out of everybody R- rictus yeah, yeah. <laughs> i forgot his name there's so there's so many names in this and so it's hard to remember everybody but uh yeah so so they all play a very critical role in it and i think that's great i think they have their redeeming arcs for the most part mm-hmm, but, um you know and there's I, I don't think I, I think the best example of of this redemption is in the remarkable scene, which is my favorite in the movie when Furiosa it's one of them, I should say when Furiosa just finds out that the green place is is gone and just the pain on her face, the anguish in her scream, the utter hopelessness, you know, that lingers from that amazing shot where she takes her arm off, kneels down in the desert and it's just the music's playing. It's somber and it's just blowing. You hear her scream because She's like, why did we just do all of this? What hope is there left, right? Mm -hmm. And Max sees that and realizes that too. And you can tell he's on the fence when she's like, we're just going to ride out to the desert for 160 days and see what happens. And he's like, that's suicide. Mm -hmm. So he he convinces her. He rides up to them and convinces them, you know, to go back. And at the end of that, he says, at least that way, we might be able to together come across some kind of redemption. Right. Because even at the beginning, he says... Uh, you you mentioned a line earlier when he says, uh, "I'm the one that runs from both the living and the dead, um, mm-hmm. hunted by scavengers, haunted by those I could not protect. So I exist in this wasteland, reduced to one instinct: survive." So exactly part of his growth and development is that he is no longer about surviving anymore. Yeah, he is about helping people and. Laying those demons to rest, yeah. exercising the demons, yeah. fueling the potential of his of his little wastelandy uh, comrades. It's great. <laughs> the wanderers. Uh, <laughs> um. So, the the biggest issue that I have with with the majority of action films that have come out in the past maybe five years is they just unfortunately use CGI very poorly (laughs) um and they create this kind of noxious visual experience Mm -hmm. it's definitely not the case for this film you can tell there's apparent cgi points but i think that george miller uses cgi as it was intended to he uses it as a tool it's not a crutch and he uses it sparingly so is this a case study for let's say film majors on on how to basically use cgi um (laughs) well He's been making these Mad Max movies for like almost 40 years. <laughs> so I think he has a vision and he knows what he wants. And I think that as a traditional filmmaker, he wasn't reliant on CG. And I think that it, if you even watch a movie like um, Alien, for example, uh, the practical effects go a long way. I mean, and that movie's you know over forty years old, and you can pop it in right now. And yeah, sure, the idea of of their tech is a little bit absurd, but 
at the end of the day, it looks real. And I think that's what you're going for is right. Is how do, how do we make the end of the world look real? And you don't need to rely on um, computer generated imagery to pull that off. You have the world right in front of you. Just fucking use it. Well, so I, I found a quote of, of him actually speaking, and he said that this movie would not have been possible without the advancements in CGI. So what he does is during certain um, composite shots, like he would basically, you know, they, they filmed everything as 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 humanly possible at, in practical sure. sense. But you can and- use that to remove the harnesses and all that other yes. bullshit. You're not, you're yes. not creating and fake fire. You're making fire in a safe way. Yes. Yeah. That, that's There's what I mean. I mean like, yeah, that's what I mean is he's, he's not using it as, as this crutch to be like, Oh, well we can't make a Optimus prime. So we're going to go ahead and just CGI the hell out of it. Right. He's, he's doing this as realistic as possible. And then he's changing things. And so like the night scenes, all of the night scenes, which I thought were some of my favorite scenes um, were shot during the daylight. He just they changed the sky and they put this kind of blue filter on stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, when they when the bullet farmer is chasing them and it's just that really cool blue color and they're trying to get out of the mud. Dude, I fucking love that scene. It's It looks so eerie because it's like that's not how night should look. But we don't know in this world, in this post apocalyptic world, if, if that's what it would look like. So I thought that that was so cool. And it, and it wasn't it wasn't annoying. You could see what was going on. Right. That, right. It wasn't right? it wasn't um, like um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Let's <laughs> 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 shoot on the darkest night possible. And it's going to. Oh. Well, I mean, I, again, started on a, that lo- a lot of that. Oh my God. A lot of that was just the compression that made it look hard to watch. But yes, it was very dark. Yeah. But um. Well, regardless, they had two years to figure it out and they didn't figure it out. Yeah. So whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I, I think that this film, well, along with every technical aspect of it, is something that that film students and film schools will will show as like a a hallmark of what you should be doing. Uh, and I think that it, it, it it's so perfectly done with the CGI that they use. Um, did you do you have. I mean, this is going to kind of be a weird question, but do you have a favorite vehicle that you saw? Um, yeah, there was just there were so many. Sure. But, uh, I think the war rig is probably my favorite. It was like, I didn't really care for like the super mega spiky cars or anything like that. But I do. I can appreciate the imagination that goes with some of these vehicles. And the one that had the tank treads. Um, yeah, that was kind of neat. So that was my second favorite. I think my favorite was was Max's car, uh, just because I think of how iconic it was, but also how it was kind of, you know, it was kind of this. I don't want to keep using the word symbolic, but it was symbolic when it got destroyed because that was his car and that was his identity and why he was running. And now it's like, well, it's gone. So he has to have a new (laughs) a new path in his life. But uh, I really did like that car a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's a good one. Yeah. Um, I have a very interesting question for you. So there was an article that came out on a blog site and I apologize because I can't find it anymore because it came out a long time ago, but it was, it was titled why you should not go see Mad Max feminist road on a bullshit, in my opinion, site called return of Kings. Uh, This is a blog site for heterosexual masculine men. It says that women and homosexuals are discouraged from commenting here. 
So first of all, fuck that website. But they complain that feminism has infiltrated and co-opted Hollywood, ruining nearly every potential good action flick with a forced female character or an unnecessary romance subplot to eke out the extra three million in female attendees. I could not disagree more. Um, It really kind of made me think, too, about this with the portrayal of the women in this film. Can this movie be looked at as a feminist film, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, elaborate. First of all, it's not a bad thing to be a feminist. Absolutely not. Every human being in the world should be a feminist. (laughs) And the very idea of this movie is, you know, you have these women that were slaves, uh, that were abused. They, They flee their their capturer i guess that they're the villain and they're able to escape and not only escape but take back what is theirs take back their own identity and kill this guy and now lead the people to a brighter future right i i think that it is 100 percent um empowering for women and it's a good thing. Yeah, I think it's strongly feminist. I mean, to me, feminism is about equality, right? And I think that this world, they Max learns and he understands, along with Furiosa, that this world could not exist without women. Women are literally, I mean, Joe holds them to read to continue life. Uh, they are the crux of this film, these, these wives and women in general. I mean... This is Furiosa's movie, I, I think, you know, because her arc is is done throughout the film. And when you have strong characters like this who have arcs in the film, I think that it definitely becomes um, a point of, of equality in, in said film. And honestly, the men are were awful in this. Like, absolutely. We were the ones that, that burned the world. If we were not (laughs) fighting and, and, you know, squabbling over things, there probably wouldn't have been a nuclear war or whatever caused this post-apocalyptic world. Truck is bigger than your truck. Exactly. And we're just, we're boys playing with, with weapons. And so I think it's so refreshing to have them come in and be like, you guys are idiots. And like, we know what's up. And, and just the sheer, I can't I can't praise Charlize Theron enough because she's just so freaking phenomenal. But the sheer um, respect that she has, like as soon as she walks on screen, you see that, you know, tattoo on her neck. You're like, all right, there's it's symbolic for the steering wheel. It's this kind of cult thing. But she is just highly regarded and respected by all these people. She drives that war rig and all these war boys, you know, they call her boss. They they follow her into battle because she she knows what she's doing. So obviously you're like she's their best general, their best warrior. Yeah, and and the amount of testosterone between Nux and Slit is just like through the roof. Like when they're just like, "That's my steering wheel. Oh, I can drive. Hook up my blood bag," and then they're like hitting foreheads and they're having eye intercourse with each other and mm-hmm. grunting. It's like, okay, just just fuck already and get it over with, and then go chase after her. <laughs> yeah. Well, and um, and I think that uh, along the lines of the equality thing, like I was saying it's so so they Max and and Furiosa understand that they need each other to to survive this like they they both can do amazing things but they can do even greater things together and i look i look at the voltron when all the lines come together to make a <laughs> super robot it's exactly like voltron but uh the scene when you know max shoots two shots into um he's trying to shoot the the headlamp of the gun farmer's vehicle but 
he he doesn't have his gun stabilized and Furiosa knows. So she comes over and doesn't say anything. And Max just looks at her, gives her the gun. She understands, you know, like that she needs that base and just says, don't breathe. And boom, one shots. I was like, oh, my God, so cool. <laughs> and then the, the you know, glass shatters in the guy's eyes like that was so fucking cool. And they really need each other for these things to, to to go the way that they can. Like Furiosa can can do a lot on her own, but and same with Max, but they complement each other. And I think that that is what it is. It's that coexistence. So I totally think this is a feminist film. And I think, you know, it's very, very righteous. The Volvani, it's all women and they're all badass women, too. They're riding all these motorcycles and what snapping is what they call it. Shooting, snapping people in the head. <laughs> that one lady, what'd she say? She's like, oh. I'll, I, every shot I've had is a headshot. I'm like, right, my homie. <laughs> it was like before, it was good, and you didn't have to snap people. Yeah, that's true. And they they also represent this type of you know I, ideal that it's the the world has changed, and they want to go back to the old ways, but they've obviously evolved with the time. But men, the men in this film are like, nope, this is the way. This is the only way it's going to happen. But all of those Volvani were very, very hopeful. They believed in it. So I think that alone says a lot about it. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, I totally I was talking to my friend about this uh, being a feminist film. And, and she's like, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that it's them breaking from this oppression and the you know, they're not objects. They are our people and they all play a very good role in this this journey and this um, uprising for the citadel ah so it's good he's good uh yeah i i think i've rambled on enough about this movie i apologize but um i i really absolutely just love this film so much i did not watch it in black and white i know rob was saying he was going to watch it in black and or what, what do they call it black and chrome. chrome yeah um i popped in the blu-ray and i did not see that feature anywhere it was a special edition oh okay I wonder how much that would have added to the film because I really do love the colors in this movie. So I, I don't know. But again, you know, I, I would have to see it without uh, making a judgment according to you. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're the worst. I know I am. I, I'm the worst. Uh, yeah. Was this theater experience for you? Is it? You know how I was telling you it's like top five for me in terms of movie going experiences. Does it rank anywhere for you? Uh, for movie going experiences? Mm -hmm. Like in the theater. So I was probably at my lowest <laughs> oh, yeah. ever in the history of my existence. Um, and for two hours, I was pulled out of my reality and into this world. And it blew my mind. So... That's probably the only way I can really answer that. I, I, I was able to escape this horrible world that I was in and go to this awful one that was beautiful in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Man, it's so crazy to think that this movie only came out like, you know, four and a half years ago. And it still really hasn't, in my mind, reached the potential to what it it should be. And mm -hmm. be hailed as, in, in, in my opinion, I think, that there shouldn't be a single negative score on Rotten Tomatoes. But I thought the line when Nux is like, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die historic on the Fury Road. I was like, oh, they said it. 
they said the title of the movie but i but i think that that worked well because i think that's like the only time they say fury road but he also talks about the significance of it and it sounds even just that name and how he talks about it it sounds like this is a very daunting task that furiosa is trying to accomplish like she's going on this very very harrowing road and apparently nux wants to die historically so and and you know we should talk about the the war boys for a second because sure. while while this is very much a a furiosa film and the the women empowerment um i will say that all the war boys were amazing at selling that they're just crazy fucking nut jobs <laughs> like oh, Nicholas totally. Holt was 100 percent on board for this role and he shows it in his work i I, well, yeah, I thought they were all so good and then like even when when the one guy gets shot in the face with like darts <laughs> oh my god yeah like ready to die and they all just say okay he's like witness me and they and they they spray him with the chrome and they're all just like it is their their job now to watch him and and witness him in all of his glory and i love that i think that was so cool that they're just 100 percent invested if someone says witness me then they're like all right dude now's your time to shine uh make it happen captain and i i really really like that well Exactly. And that's what I'm talking about. I mean, the fact that we we don't know anything about these war boys and anything that Amorton and Joe has told them, but we we do see like the symbolic prayer praying that they do to him and bowing of their heads before they leave the Citadel. But this this scene, you're right, like he's he's clearly going to die. He's like, screw it. I'm going to spray my face with spray paint and whatever that may do to me. But (laughs) I'm going to grab these boomsticks and just sacrifice myself because I'm dead anyways. And everyone is watching him and they all like pray and say these things. But that says so much about their their belief system and and what they think. Like we can ascertain what whatever we want from it. But that is it's presented like that. And it's not this exposition where they're like, well, these war boys believe in this and that you can go to Valhalla for this. It's it's all exemplified through the actions. And I fucking love that scene. I, I know what you're, exactly what you're talking about. It's it's so well done because even even Nux is like, get up, get up. And he's like cheering him and stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And then that, that gives you it shows the the importance, like what that means to them so that when Nux does it and he fails, it shows you, know, you see um, the heartbreak in his eyes and that he has failed and that he's he is not living up to what he's supposed to and that's uh that's pretty powerful stuff well and that's why his very final line before he dies is he says witness me when he says it to um what's her name trapper yeah capable uh, capable when he says it to capable and then she does the you know the acceptance thing like they do like the mm-hmm. do and that shows that he has finally proven his worth and he will rise to whatever heaven he is going to ascend to but he sacrificed himself to save the others and uh i mean that was that was his redemption so Mm -hmm. i i really like that you know i didn't think at first when i saw this i was like nux is kind of a throwaway character but he really evolved and he he helped them i thought it was it was a good job and and holt did fantastic all the characters in this movie i think i would argue that he grows more than any of them He's the one that changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a solid. I mean, he went from hardcore. I am a war boy. This is this is my way of life. This is what I'm going to do uh, to. Uh, you know, he was he was fighting for Immortan Joe. He sees what they're up to. At first, it's just uh, him trying to infiltrate and hey, I can I can stop them. He just wants to impress Immortan Joe. 
to then he falls for their belief system and he realizes that it's wrong, but he still wants, he still clings to his religion, of course, because that's very important to people. But at the end of the day, he is the one that, that be, it went from a bad guy to a good guy. Yeah, I agree with you. That is, uh, that's pretty spot on actually. So, well, um, yeah. Is that it? Are we done? This is a good movie. You should go see it. I totally think so. Um, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to talk too much more about this because it's just, I feel like it's one that we can talk hours about. But so, uh, all right, letter grade. Um, give this a letter grade. Oh, A plus. Hands down. Incredible. Greatest action movie of the 2010s, in my opinion. Totally. It made my uh, best of the decade list. Uh, I think it was like number four on there or something. I just, I, I, I couldn't be happier with this movie. Uh, so, Real quick, do you think that they should make a sequel to this? I know I said Tom Hardy signed on for the next three films in 2015, but do you think they should make a sequel to this? Uh, no, I think that uh, this is the perfect bookend to the Mad Max franchise. Yeah, I think I agree. George Miller is is getting up there in age, and it's just kind of one of those things that you you can't really top this. I don't. I don't know how to top it. I don't know if anybody will for quite a while and just let it, let it lie where it is. I don't want it to tarnish the reputation of, of said film. So I would, I would also be very okay without a sequel. Yeah. Quit while you're ahead. I think that we were left with, with hope and that the, what is left of the world is in very good and capable hands and we don't have to, dabble in this further and i get that max is going to continue traveling and and wandering the road but i don't need to see another one of his adventures yeah absolutely so all right well thank you for listening to the don't be crazy podcast uh i did not sing in this episode so i lost a dollar to myself again but um, remember to follow us on the Twitter there at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zachdale60, of course, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will talk about them on the show. We'll give you a shout out. We'll say this person's crazy. This person is insane, but they're a stand-up citizen. Um, you can, you know, just... Tell us how the show's going. We appreciate anybody who listens. We appreciate new listeners and their opinions. There is no such thing as a bad film, even though there's a ton of bad films out there. <laughs> we love to hear people's uh, thoughts on why they think a certain film is good or bad. You know, with everything, though, just please remember to not be crazy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>